Business Mondays are for art, never talks. In 1998, the Locus Projects was created as a non-for-profit exhibition space dedicated for providing contemporary artists the freedom to experiment with new ideas. 20 years later, it's recognized as an incubator of creativity supporting local, national, and international artists who seek to try something new and different, building in the process a visual arts community in Miami. Our guest today, Lori Mertz, Executive Director, talks about the journey. Lori, welcome to Eva Talks. Eva, so lovely to be here. Thank you. You have 20 years of experience. Not a coincidence, right? 20 years anniversary, Maybe. 20 years experience. Well, I probably have um, a little longer than that, actually. But 28 years maybe okay so it's more in the 30 yeah almost almost <laughs> so you have 30 years of experience let's, let's keep it that it matches the 20th yeah, anniversary yeah so you have an incredible experience as an arts administration curator educator with a focus on enabling production through contemporary art and ideas and of course this year you are leading the celebrations of the 20th anniversary of the logos projects for which you have published a beautiful special book that I've oh, received. You. It's really wonderful, documenting the work that they have done through all the years. So for those people that don't know much about the Locus Projects, can you share in your own words, what is it about? So Locus Projects is a space of yes. I love that. <laughs> it, it, it's, um, it's a space that really is about saying yes to artists and their ideas. It's a space of creating opportunities for artists to realize ambitious ideas, audacious ideas, outrageous ideas. And they're, they're ideas that perhaps could not be realized in other more traditional venues, like a commercial art gallery or a museum. So it's a really vital space in terms of the arts ecosystem where artists have the space, the time, the resources to create new art, to bring their ideas to life. And Eva, I mean, when I mean a culture of yes, we've, we've let artists take a jackhammer to the floors. <laughs> we've had a, a full-size swimming pool and synchronized swimming. Oh, well, yeah. So that, it's that. not your average bear in terms of, of what you experience in an art space. Let's first talk a little bit about yourself because you were born in Palm Beach, so you are a native Floridian, pure blood. Native, yes. So you're from here. And you actually started your career uh, here in Florida as well. Yes. And then you moved, you moved to different places. Tell us about a little bit at the start of your career, how was that development, how you entered into the arts world? Well, you know, it's so interesting that your background in, in magazine publishing, it was actually magazines <laughs> that turned me on to art and contemporary art. I was um, working at a chocolate shop in Palm Beach Gardens. And there was a magazine bookstore right next door. I was a voracious reader. And there was a magazine called Art Nexus. Oh, right, yes. And of course, it's still, I, it's still, and I it's still there. <laughs> like, you know, many years later, come to know the publisher, right. the family, the Beer Brothers, they're lovely. Right. Um, and I just recently told this story to Francine, who is the daughter of, of the founder of the magazine. And um, it was my introduction to contemporary art and ideas. And I was like really interested. I was interested in photography um, and taking pictures and drawing, but I was a terrible drafts person. Um, my art teacher was like, yeah, don't pursue that. <laughs> um, but I, I was turned on by that and also my high school art teacher showing images of things I had never seen because 
I didn't grow up going to museums. I, I grew up on a small arc-like farm in Loxahatchee, which is sort of, you know, due west of, of Palm Beach and the Norton Museum. So I really wasn't exposed to that world. My mom was a nurse, my dad was a fireman, um, and pretty much the world, outside world was, was my inspiration. But it was this, this one moment of spark between high school and these art magazines that just really rocked my world. This is an amazing story, so inspiring. How do you go from chocolate, set of chocolates, <laughs> you know, to working at the Miami Art Museum? Yeah, um, it, it's, you know, it's all this, these lovely cookie crumbs or, <laughs> you know, of opportunity that were placed in my path. I was just really right place, right time. Um, I had graduated college with an art history degree and didn't know what the heck I was going to do with that because I didn't know what curating was. I didn't know, I thought I had to teach. And so I had three jobs. I was substitute teaching. I was a cosmetic girl in, in the department store and I had a job on Worth Avenue um, selling clothes. And there was a gentleman who came in one day with a t-shirt that said Ross Bleckner on it. It was a tie-dye t-shirt. And I just was so starved for conversation about art at that point, because I'd been out of school for a few months. Um, I start yammering on all about Ross Bleckner's recent exhibition that I had read about. And the gentleman pointed out the man next to him and said, well, this is Ross. Can't believe this. <laughs> wow. Happily, he was tickled. So um, I found out that he had an exhibition that had just opened across the street. And it was a new gallery that was very contemporary, had great concrete floors. This is Worth Avenue, which was not known for really contemporary things, no. and definitely not contemporary art. Beautiful Corian tabletops, and this gentleman named Jason Rubel, who had also just graduated college, we started chatting and he offered me a job. And that job brought me to Miami. We ran Jason Rubel Gallery, and then my path then led to what was then the Center for the Fine Arts. Um, and a very junior curator starting out with no experience um, other than a, a couple of years in an art gallery. Lovely cookie crumbs to follow. <laughs> and I've just had some wonderful people placed in my path. Isn't that incredible? I love how you mentioned the cookie crumbs. I'm sure that it cookies could... instead of like you know, crackers. Right, right, right. Or bread. <laughs> so you have seen the transformation that Miami has gone through. Yes. What do you think it's... of that? It's, um, it's mind-boggling um, to really see a city come to life, a city that was a city before, but the scale, the depth, the breadth, um, the height. <laughs> uh, Brickell was shocking to me because I've been away now from Miami for you about 10 years. You were away 10 years, right. Um, I left Miami in 2006, and actually the last show I did was sort of a love letter to Miami and to Miami artists. It was called Miami in Transition. And it was about artists who were responding to the building boom of 2006 in recent years. Now, granted, I was away during the largest possible building boom that then subsequently happened. So um, it's, it's mind boggling to see the cultural institutions. You know, Pam has been built in the time that I left, the, the symphony, the Performing Arts Center, the Arch Center, I mean, there's the ballet, there's such amazing breadth and depth in terms of the culture 
and arts in this community, it's really pretty astounding and fantastic. And so the Locust Projects actually started uh, because three very visionary artists were, souls. <laughs> were walking around an industrial area in Miami called Wynwood, when it wasn't really Wynwood, the one we know today, um, and created the space. edge of little Puerto Rico is what that <laughs> neighborhood was. It was Boringham Boulevard, um, you know, back in, in the 60s. Yeah, so and they saw this space and uh, they decided to get a warehouse, no air conditioning, nothing, and just and no money, no money. <laughs> Talk about a visionary and yeah. uh, you know, I was innovation. A, I was a curator at the Miami Art Museum. Um, had grown through, you know, and learned along the way, and and essentially went from being a junior curator to leaving as the assistant director of special projects, and had been the curator for almost twelve years, but. Of course, I had on my radar these three artists who, out of nowhere, they come from grad school and they decide to start their own alternative art space. And in a neighborhood that no one really traversed at the time <laughs> or was aware existed. Um, but they, they did it on, a, on basically a shoestring. And um, Dennis and Deborah Scholl were among the very early sort of supporters who saw that they were doing something really different, really vital, really exciting, um, even helped pay their rent a couple of times along the way. But what was so vital is the space that they created was really about creating community and again, creating opportunities for artists sort of on their own terms. It was artists run for artists. Isn't it incredible that, you know, nowadays everybody wants to, you know, you have a project, you know, show me what it is, show me what it has offered, show me, you have to have it done so that people invest or that oh, do something. Oh, I love that you bring that up. And we come from a, a, an era, maybe, <laughs> or a place where people really believed in true innovation, not innovation that is going to bring back value immediately. I mean, nowadays you want to create a project and it's like, well, can you show me if it's, if it's works? You know, you are, your own story is proof of that. My own story is proof of that. And the story of the Locust Projects, it's about people believing in other people. Yes, yes. I love that you bring that up because it's also just in terms of the kinds, the way we support artists is they come with an idea, a proposal, there's no promises that this is going to go well or right, you know? <laughs> and so embracing risk, you know, when I talk about the sort of culture of yes, but it's also embracing the fact that it could be a great success or it could be a failure. It could right. be a disaster. But the process and the experience is what is, is the most vital thing. And when you talk about investing in that, it's sometimes hard for a space like Locust to really, you know, we have to build on the faith of what's been done and what we've done for artists in the past. You know, we need people to invest in the artists and their ideas for the future, even without guarantees, because it's the process, it's the experience that we're giving that is the product. It's not necessarily the exhibition or the project that then goes away. Right. But it's what you've done for that artist and how they maybe take that experience to their next project or it helps to spark some completely new direction. That's the beauty spot of where Locust sits. I want people to be more 
uh, directed by their gut. I mean, no one wants people to make drastic, erratic decisions, but we more focused about what comes from your gut than all this data and uh, what is really going to happen. We not we don't make there are no they don't formulas. Mis- yeah, there are no formulas. You know, you never know. One of the you know most amazing things, and you talk about this before, is that Locus Projects has committed itself to its ideals in in a very pure way. I mean, you talk about you know a place where you, you empower the artists, you know, to bring out their true creativity, and you know it's very risk free, and you can do whatever you want, <laughs> and sometimes, <laughs> and uh, it's on site and they are temporary. Um, so sometimes off site as well. We we have right. done a number number of projects. That have taken on different names over time, art on the move, out of the box, but more mobile happenings and projects. Now you are at the design district, mm-hmm. um, but just walk me through the process of selection, of putting it all together. Sure. So we have returned to the original founding sort of process of the three artists and um, they're all still on our board today which is great Plus, we have another two rotating artist board members right and um, part of their role as being board members is to participate in the open call process and so we try to get the open call out as broadly as possible we run it quarterly um, and it's an opportunity for artists to submit their proposal, whether, you know, they have to be able to write about their ideas in their project, maybe show some examples of images, sketches, perhaps Um, they can download the floor plan online. And then the artists review those proposals and then make recommendations to the staff. And then I will then work through and try to create because diversity of program, diversity of career level, age, background, everything is so important in a program to be reflective of the city we're in as well, in terms of Miami, um, has always been something important to me in terms of you know what you're doing with the program. And so I try to take that eye and then make the selections from what they recommended. And then you just reach out to the artists and you make sure that we're on the same page, um, time-wise, budget-wise, and, right. and then they get to come and be in residence. And that's something that's very different We have a house that we put people up for, you know, up to as many as eight weeks to two weeks to two days, whatever it takes for them to make their project. The one thing we talk about at Locus is that art happens here. Wherever we are, we're making art happen. And um, it's, it's being produced on site. It's not paintings that were made in a studio that come and hang on the wall. And then what happens to the installations? Um, some pieces, bits and pieces, find their way to future exhibitions for the artists. Um, we've, we've just seen that happen. Um, an artist was just featured in the New York Times who's got a project that just um, recreated one of the um, Philip Roth Library. Um, and then we will sometimes send it on to other venues to be recreated as an exhibition. Um, we're hoping to do that with the current show. And um, sometimes the material gets repurposed. Um, we, we do a program in the summer for kids, for teenagers, who we then let them take over the space in the summer and do the same thing that the artists do. So we've had a lot of materials reused by them, you know, to be able to reconfigure into whatever their imaginations can create. And like you say, this is incredible because it's, the process starts right there. 
it's created there like a flower plant a tree and something that even though you know it might be moved you know its origins are, are very pure this is definitely a, a community project I mean, for the community and you are also able to help people succeed and to expand their horizons so how do you continue to you know make the community part of this project so that people know about it so that they can get involved and and support it well i think um we're in a great location now the design district has changed quite a bit and it's an interesting you know there's fabulous high-end design down the street from locust which you know has lovingly been called scrappy um <laughs> but <laughs> I, I take scrappy wow. as in, you know, we're, we're, we're tough and we're cool. But and, why would people say that? Well, we're think? a little more of a raw warehouse well, Yes, space, I mean, you know, it's, so it's a different project. Compared to the sleek, fabulous new ICA. Well, I would Daily say, Cruise, yeah. yeah. We're a little rougher around the edges. But that's but your the process. Yeah, we're a process space. But when you talk about community, we're free to the public. We always have been. That's a really key thing, that there's no boundaries in terms of financial um, restraints um, and we try to do public programming that really helps to spark conversations so even if you walk in and see something that you go oh my kid can do that or I have no idea what the heck I'm looking at you may not love it there's always something else to right. come do and see and maybe spark some curiosity about well what is it about this piece and why is it and, and to know there's all it's it is about that process for the artist and that something new is going to be coming out and it's important to know that this is not a gallery this is a space that it's also besides you know creating something very pure you're educating the community and you have programs where you involved that community you were talking before yeah, about yeah, getting the kids involved can you share a little bit more about that so we have been for almost 10 over 10 years now we've been doing a program called locust art builders and it really is an incubator summer art intensive for teens and they go through the same selection process it's for teens from all over the county they don't have to be specifically art students or very good at art. They just need to be able to fill out the application. We select 25 and they spend three weeks with us every day, Monday through Friday with two professional artists. They get a behind the scenes look into creative careers. So not just being an artist, but being a registrar in a museum or being a, an art shipper or packer or handler or being a graphic designer. But to show them all these portals for creative life. But they also really learn how to, we had one kid that I, I taught him how to use a drill here because <laughs> I happened to be standing there and saw that he wasn't quite getting it right. Um, so you know, selling chocolate and I can uh, the drill. drilling. I'm really good at tools. Um, but, you know, these kids are learning how to use materials and build, it's locust art builders, right. they're building things from scratch. They're having to collaborate with each other. They're learning about each other. They all come from different schools. And they have to agree upon what their show is going to be. They have to agree on it's the one title. Show. It's one show where they all participate in making the art for the show. So some of them might do some individual, but it's mostly a collaborative big effort for one show. They write their press release. They design their invite. 
they plan their opening. They even do the entertainment. They plan the entertainment. This is amazing. The oh, it's fantastic. And you should I, do a reality about it. it it's so <laughs> special. We do videos, and there are video recordings online on our YouTube channel. And they're just little three-minute snippets of this three-week experience that you just see such transformation. And um, we see these kids come back to Locust as interns. I've got two interns from last year's lab who I adore. They're so fabulous. Um, we see them come back as artists. They go right. off to art school. I've written a lot of letters of recommendation. Um, you know, it's just really a special program because it is so intimate and small and they really get a very special experience as opposed to some other larger programs or art camps. Um, so yeah, that's like, it's a tremendous program. We do a lot of public programming to talk about what contemporary art is. Can I you tell know? you something when you're, you're speaking about these teams working, you know, on an exhibit. I did a conference at Los Cabos um, at a hotel that is called El Ganso and they have always some artists intervened rooms and, you know, very focused on art. And I gave a talk about something completely different and they have a school and it's, it's, it's a community school so kids can learn how to paint and they were giving a class. And I said, oh, no, I don't paint, you know, I don't. Even though people might think that I'm artistic, I'm zero artistic, I can't draw anything. Um, and I was like, no, and this is for the kids. And I, I started drawing or painting or mixing colors, whatever. And I found it so therapeutic. And um, I think that there's something so beautiful about art. And I hadn't allowed myself the opportunity to really, you know, do something that had no purpose or had no purpose at that time. But once you do it, right. you realize how therapeutic it is and how the natural use of colors is saying a lot about your state of mind. Well, and the, yeah, and the connection between your hand. I mean, it, even if you're not making art, just doing things with your hands. How many kids today are taking whether it's shop class or, or actually learning how to make things, make things, and not on a computer, not in a virtual realm or a digital realm. They can make photos with their phones, but you know, this actually- Everybody using, can take great photos. <laughs> using your hands, though, I think is one of the things that makes, that's why it's sort of the, the builder's concept, um, is really a very special, it builds confidence and they have to learn how to solve problems in and collaborate ways and collaborate. I think a lot of adults should go and do this uh, project. Yeah. <laughs> collaborate. I think it would be a good, a great idea. I think we need bankers or business people. You know what even it could be for, you know, companies that do these uh, projects, you know, to kind of gather their team, team members building, yeah. and the team building. I think there's throw, no, them, all throw them all there and, and you, know, at, you know, at the end of the day, there's not much difference between putting something artistic together and putting a concept for a company. Um, you really, how I said at the beginning, have an impressive career. You were more recently the director of public programs at the National Museum of Women in the Arts in Washington, D.C. So tell us about that role. Oh, that was such a special experience. Um, I was friends with Susan Fisher Sterling, the director and um, of the National Museum of Women in the Arts. We had worked, you know, I, I tried to borrow her Frida Kahlo for a show <laughs> at MAM, and she said no, because she has one super fabulous Frida Kahlo, and of course she's gonna say no, because she wants it at her museum. 
but that's how we struck a friendship. Uh, I moved to DC for personal reasons and we had lunch and within three months she called me and said, are you busy? I have a problem. <laughs> and you know, the women's museum had gotten to a point where it wasn't really engaging. It's the community. It was like another Smithsonian. It's not a Smithsonian, but the concept of having people who come for exhibitions, but not necessarily, there wasn't a public program component. So she asked me to set aside my curatorial hat, but to focus on curating conversation. She's like, I don't know what it looks like, figure it out. And we really I looked at it in terms of responding to the moment. We had a woman running for president, we were in a women's museum, and we didn't have any young people coming into the museum. You know, we had kids, right. but not sort of the 25s to 45s. Um, and the museum had, had sort of become a little stale in terms of its building new relationships. And so this became a platform for not just only building conversation, but creating community and convening conversations about how women and the arts can be catalysts for social change. So we're just talking about yeah. building. Um, there's, you know, putting an artist together with someone, you know, who's the head of the Office of Science and Technology for the Obama administration, you right. know, and the sparks fly because they're talking about how can technology, you know, really help to solve social justice or social change problems or how can, how can an artist use technology to help heal the environment? How can a bicycle bring social change? You know, do you know the bicycle is a designed object? And in right. terms of for women, the bicycle is the reason why we wear trousers. The bicycle gave women freedom from having to be chaperoned. It made their world bigger. And as a result, became this really important moment for women and their their freedom. Susan B. Anthony has a famous quote about the bicycle. So we had these really insightful conversations. You know, how can words, the power of words. And I think that we all grow from having those conversations. Yeah, and you know, what we did is we had everyone then convene downstairs for what we called Sunday suppers. 200 people sitting together sharing a meal in long family style tables. Um, and this was really a program, it was $20 you know, to come, or a lot of half of the tickets in the first year were free. We comped people to get people to come. And it was so special and we recorded it, we created playful ways to capture people's feedback and to get people to talk to each other. Um, I created these little cards called, can I quote you cards? And it was almost like a one-liner, like this speaker nailed it when dot, dot, dot. And they had to fill in the blanks. Um, I, and, and it was the really how they took away something meaningful and had an experience that stayed with them. It was such a special time. Um, and you know, it was a special time in the world. It was a special time just for me personally to do something so different. How rewarding. It was really wonderful. So I think you're making a huge difference. And it continues on. They've got a fantastic person who's Isn't running that the program. Great, right? I love seeing it. When you can build something yeah. and it keeps going on without you. Yeah. That, I just I just tell matters. them, make it better, please. Yeah. I left exactly. my tears and my sweat. I mean, I don't have a problem. Make it better. If you make it worse, oh my God. I'm coming after you. I, well, yes. <laughs> or I'm going to be very disappointed and think about you a lot <laughs> in a very negative way. But let's think positive. What would you say right now is the most challenging part of your work? You know, I think it's it's bandwidth. I think people's attention spans and bandwidths and 
really, you know, it's, there's so much competition for time and ears and eyes. And we're exhausted. And we're all exhausted <laughs> and we're all living through these devices. And I think art is the place to slow us down. It's why museums are so vital. Arts experiences are so vital across the performing arts. Um, but we also, you know, are, are trying to capture people to really make a meaningful connection. And um, sometimes that's hard to do. And when we're a smaller space, you know, it's hard to, to get them in the door to get that connection. We have these amazing artists who are there with us for weeks on end and building their shows. We don't close during installation. We keep ourselves open so people can really see the process of building an exhibition. Most places you go when an exhibition is in transition, they put up big barriers and say, under construction, <laughs> right? You know, come back and see us soon. We're always open so that there's the chance to talk. So it's a that part is a challenge. Um, and we're still a very small community when it comes to contemporary art being a necessary, vital part of a broad public. It's changed a lot with the arrival of the amazing Art Basel this sort of energy and excitement around contemporary art is so much bigger than it ever was, right? I mean, yes. there are our, our, our mayors show up to arts events, you know, right. which is really fantastic. That's incredible. You know, it's important to support. Um, but I find that, you know, we, we need to keep pushing the education about contemporary art and, and why it's vital, what creativity does. It's like the conversation right. with kids that art plays such a vital role. And most people, I think... Um, there's still be, a barrier. Yeah, there's still a barrier. And sometimes you meet people that, because Art Basel has become such an important event. Very, yes. And Happening, so, driven, yeah. and very But now grand. people are going to art events and they want to have the appearance that they know about art, uh, I mean, which they don't but they want to be cool. And I think that it's also being affiliated with party. Yes. And I think there's something beautiful. I mean, this is my belief about the, the rawness of art. And I remember when Art Basel started and our most glamorous aspect was the dome of Cartier in front of the convention center. <laughs> and there weren't that many people, and but the right people were there. Right. And um, this has brought wonderful things and a lot of exposure. But I think that we need, like you say, to promote the education and people be more open to saying, I don't know anything about but art. But it's okay. It's okay. Like, yeah, I don't know okay. much about art. But, but the thing I think that is the greatest challenge, just to come back to that, is, is really instilling a sense of curiosity. Mm, yes. Um, that, that it's okay if I don't get it. Or I'm, I'm curious about having new experiences and that the arts can introduce me to a portal in a world that I would not normally ever come into contact with. Right. It's the same thing as fashion, you know, what makes somebody stylish. Stylish in a way, I, sometimes I say, just wear your best smile. I mean, there's nothing better than that, right? Um, what do you want people to take away from every installation? just that there that somehow that experience stays with them I, I still go back to that i think that's really the power of arts experiences is that it can stay with you 
it, it might somehow change the way you think about something. It gets you to see a little differently or think a little differently, you know, that in a way that you wouldn't have if you hadn't come in and had that experience and seen that thing or talked to that artist. That, you know, it changes your attitude or behavior is sort of a loose way to, you know, a way Open to say it. Open your mind. It is. And, and that to me is, is the biggest takeaway. So you have presented more than 200 solo oh, and thematic group exhibitions of established and emerging artists. That's a lot, I it's have cute. to say. I've yeah, been say. Yeah, yeah, 200, no, no, more or less. So tell me how... I'm you... 90. <laughs> <laughs> you started when you were five. Yeah. Um, so how do you approach each curating process? Oh. Let's go into your mind. Okay, um, good question. It's really about the context. It's really, you know, what I would, there's still, a, I have a very sort of, my, I have a poet, poetic soul. <laughs> I'm a bit, it can be a little sappy sometimes, but um, I love beauty. I love storytelling. You know, that to me is what cur curating is about storytelling. Um, we get to be the great sort of people in front of the works of art and the artist and help to tell the story of what's going on and to connect people. That is curating for me. But it's going to be different. The curating and the actual selections is going to be different in Miami than it was for me in Philadelphia than it was for me because it's, it's a different community and it mm -hmm. has a different context. Right. And different sense of what's urgent in terms of issues and interests. Um, and, you know, even in terms of the, the, the sort of infrastructure around the arts ecosystem, each one is totally different. Philadelphia has this depth of history, you know, which Miami doesn't have hundreds of, no. like, you know, Ben Franklin is hanging out in Philadelphia, <laughs> right. you know, in, in this, I walk the streets. Miami, we have Miami Vice, that's the you last know, thing yeah. people can remember. <laughs> yeah, Tubbs was on that street corner in that Ferrari. Um, so yeah, this that context is very different. And also, you know, even in terms of the artworks that are in conversation with each other across the other arts organizations, we don't have a metropolitan museum. We don't have a big encyclopedic museum that all the kids are going to and learning about ancient art, modern art, you know, whatever, all through time. So we also, by just inserting contemporary art, without a context and a dialogue. And I think that that's the real sort of challenge because they don't know where it all came from right. or, or how we got to this point in time. Very true. And, you know, there are museums here who are trying to do that. Um, I, loved, I loved being in the curatorial role at MAM because it did give us kind of a blank slate. We didn't have to look at art and art history the way that museums and other places did. We could look at it from a north-south perspective <laughs> instead of east-west um, and, and really looking at um, the way you group art not by geographies or things like that. Um, it was wide open. That was a very different context, whereas that didn't necessarily fit with what was going on. Even I was in North Carolina uh, curatorial residency program and doing some curating of shows there. All very different. So it's really context. But it's very and having important a heart you say. about right. you know being very thoughtful and considerate to know what you're inserting into Well you have a responsibility yeah. at the end of the day. But what you say is very true about Miami is that we've skipped kind of what people in other places like when you grew up in Washington DC, 
you just drew weekend plants includes a museum. It's very natural. I spent so much time right. at the Natural History Museum. I really, it was such a treat to be around that kind of content because I grew up in South Florida. I didn't, I didn't have those experiences until I and was now, an adult. And now you can come back to Florida and bring back all that knowledge and take this amazing project to a new place, you know, for people to know it. And you know what I like about, you know, talking about the Locust Projects and that pureness about it is, it's kind of what Miami is all about. Because at the end of the day, people have come here throughout the years to reinvent themselves. And here they can find a new voice or freedom or escape. And it's such a welcoming city. I always say that anybody that comes and stays here for three days, and you talk to them, they feel like a local. They're mm -hmm. about to tell you everything about Miami, mm -hmm. you know? They, I ran into a couple yeah. of <laughs> And the city, like I always say, don't take it for granted. The city allows you to do that. It's a gift. And I think it's the same with this project that allows the city to give you a gift as well. So it's really beautiful what you're doing. So you grew up in a farm. <laughs> you were selling. Farm. You a were small arc-like farm. Two of every animal. Okay, great. So two. <laughs> Not quite a far. And so you were selling chocolate. <laughs> yes. And uh, oh suddenly you were driven into this world of art, which was inspired amazing. by a magazine of a person actually we both know, the Bibragger family, Susan Bibragger, who's very yeah. involved in the, in the community with heart projects. I mean, what an incredible journey. I always say at the end of the podcast that, yes, you can, because I didn't finish university. I didn't study something specific. I never went on to get a master's because my opportunities were so tremendous. It just took my education was in front of me. Right. And that had been my intention. But, uh, you know, I'm part of a generation where, you're, you know, all these curatorial programs came after long after and now you have to go and get your master's if you're even going to be considered so no, i was it's very great to lucky. study i am a big promoter of, of studying and education but i think that nothing replaces actual experience yes actual experience and i wouldn't trade it for the world yeah I, I i mean i i don't know if i would go back to to school i would love to go back to school at some point uh, there's still time and a lot to learn but nothing like what you learn talking to people. And mentorship, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I really was so lucky to have a tremendous mentor. And um, Suzanne Delahanty, who was the director who came in, um, I learned so much. And, you know, just somebody who gives you an opportunity and lets you learn on the job is such a gift. Yes, but also you took that opportunity and you made the sacrifices, the time, the dedication, and you, you, you took that, you know, not very, not many people do that. You know, people think that nowadays, well, I want to be like Lori and, uh, <laughs> and I'll say, yes, everybody can be like Lori, but are you willing to make the sacrifice and put the hard work before the glory, you know, because the, the titles are just fancy titles, nice titles. The work you do is very different. So congratulations Thank on these 20 so years. Yes. Yeah, well, I think that. You're very inspiring, and I hope that uh, we get to bring adults uh, from a company to the Locust. I don't know <laughs> I what they're. I, I honestly don't know what they're going to build, yeah. uh, but I think it would be fascinating to get them involved in this. So many congratulations on the 20th anniversary on your 20 slash 30 well years. Locust is 20, <laughs> and we're wrapping up our 20th anniversary, um, and we are excited about what's coming.
Yes. Many changes to come. Well, that's exciting. Thank you so much, Laurie. Thank you, Evan.